Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, May 13th. We begin with an update on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We speak with Robert Haig, Senior Fellow at the U of C School of Public Policy, for some insight into how the war has galvanized NATO allies and created a desire by many other European nations to apply for membership and what this ultimately means for Russia. Next, a look at the headlines south of the border from the latest debates on abortion rights to the continued U.S. response to the war in Ukraine. We catch up with Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. Then it's the return of one of the most colorful fundraisers in the city. We hear details on the 10th annual Splash of Red benefit in support of SafeLink Alberta. We speak with Katie Ayers, Executive Director of SafeLink Alberta, to learn more about the organization. And finally, Food Network Canada recently launched the second season of its TV show Firemasters, and a Calgary chef will be on the show this weekend. We meet Chef Jenny B, owner-operator of Jane Bond Barbecue. Has Russia's invasion of Ukraine helped to strengthen relationships between NATO countries and spurred previously neutral countries to join or consider joining the organization? With Insight, we are joined by Robert Hag, Senior Fellow at the U of C School of Public Policy. Good morning to you, Robert. Good morning. Well, let's kick it off and, and, and focus on Finland to begin with. Uh, been in the conversation over the past few weeks here. Why would it be a big deal if uh, Finland joined NATO? Well, it is a big deal because uh, Finland has traditionally been a neutral country, although it's been occupied on several occasions starting in the 19th century by Russia, um, and it's sort of had to grow out of that. Um, it uh, it became uh, sort of a quasi-independent after World War One. And then after World War II, uh, the Russians had, during that period of time in something called the Winter War in 1939, had taken about 10% of the country. And uh, the Ukrainian or the Finns wanted it back and, and didn't get it. So after the war, they signed different pacts with the, uh, then the USSR to remain neutral. And uh, the word finalization became uh, something in the vocabulary. They didn't like the term. But it's a, the definition is a powerful country makes a smaller country neighboring uh, and a smaller neighboring country refrain from opposing it while keeping its nominal independence. And that defined Ukraine. Uh, so the, the Ukrainians finally joining NATO after all these years is, is really quite, uh, quite a change in policy. You mean the Finns joining NATO? Sorry, yes. So why, that leads me to my question, though. So why will they, I mean, Finland, yes, it appears Sweden will also join. Why not let Ukraine into NATO? I have never really understood the reasoning behind that. Well, that's, that's a very good question. But the two countries that, uh, that you referred to have a history of, of working with NATO, um, and Ukraine has not. Mm. Uh, there wasn't a time when they extended an invitation to Ukraine, but there was a lot of opposition within Europe. Uh, Finland and, and, and Sweden are, are certainly the, the main candidates right now. And there's even uh, media uh, talk that the Finns might announce their joining on Sunday and the Swedes might follow, although that's not yet clear. But the Ukraine has, has certainly very keen on joining NATO. It'll take some time. And unlike uh, with Finland and, and Sweden, as I mentioned, there is opposition within NATO to expanding it into Ukraine, and uh, especially now, that would set the Russians off uh, even in a worse fashion than, than we have right now. I want to uh, switch gears briefly to talk about, uh, you know, where we are right now with this war, with this invasion, uh, Robert, is I, I'd read an article about a Russian 
mercenary who was doing some work with uh, Russia, obviously on behalf of Russia in Syria. He came out in an interview this week and said that Russia has failed miserably because they expected absolutely no fight. They expected a ragtag militia to be, you know, waiting for them when they cross the borders into Ukraine. That's not the case. That's one expectation. But the other one, when it comes to, you know, NATO, do you think that Putin had any idea whatsoever that he would galvanize the NATO countries and he'd galvanize the allies against him the way that things have, have happened? Yeah, I think um, Putin hopefully is surprised by this. I don't think he had any idea of what the reaction was going to be. Uh, he certainly miscalculated, and uh, he lies to the Russian people as well about who's the aggressor. He makes Ukraine out to be uh, the, the, the state that's challenging Russia, which, of course, is a total lie. And we seem to be in an area where we're headed, or headed for a stalemate, and uh, the Russians, what they're trying to do now, they were not able to take Kiev. And, and occupy the whole country now. They're working on the southeast part, and it's along the Black Sea where they're especially uh, seizing territory on Donbass, where they had about a third of that territory after 2014 when they seized uh, Crimea. Uh, they now have 70%. But the, the Ukrainians are fighting back, and the president has made clear that there's no way that they're going to engage in a settlement by giving Russia more territory. What the Russians are trying to do is seal off the top of the Black Sea and close the ports that Ukraine has relied on to ship its goods overseas. So uh, they're not doing badly on that, but the Ukrainians, with the help of the Americans in particular, and the uh, huge amounts of money they've been giving, the armaments that they've been sending, the artillery especially, are fighting back. And so it's too early to say what's going to happen and what the outcome is going to be. But I think we're in for several more months or maybe hopefully not a year of this, uh, this what's, what's developing as a stalemate. So, Robert, obviously Ukraine feeling the wrath of Putin and the Russians, you know, going back to Finland and Sweden, you know, Putin is threatening that they will also feel his wrath should they join NATO. I mean, is there anything really that he can do to those two countries? Would, would that be possible? Do you think he might? Well, I mean, he talks he talks a, a lot of talk. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine what he could do. I mean, Finland and, and Russia have had a good trading relationship, but they're respecting the embargoes, so I don't think that's an issue. And as a matter of fact, apparently they opened their doors to Russian technology experts to come and work in Finland. So it's, uh, it's hard to see what he could possibly do that would cause them any particular pain. Thank you so much for your time and your insight, Robert. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Robert Hag, senior fellow at the U of C School of Public Policy and former director for, a foreign, for foreign affairs responsible for Ukraine and Russia. This week, the COVID death toll in the U.S. reached 1 million, and a 50-year-old landmark ruling could be overturned. With details on all the news making waves south of the border, we are joined by Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. Let's start with Roe versus Wade. The first time anything has been leaked from the Supreme Court, but how likely is this 1973 ruling to actually be overturned? You know, it seems very likely that it's going to be overturned at this point. And I think the question is just sort of how far does the court actually go here in overturning it? Do they stick with, uh, you know, the text of this la- uh, leaked draft decision that essentially strips it entirely and punts it back to the states and then lets the states decide how far or not far they want to go? 
or does the court moderate its decision and do a lesser repeal and maybe end up in a place where uh, they repeal some protections but not all of them? And we're not going to know the answer to that until sometime in June or July when the final decision comes down. Now, we've been talking about this, what, for about a week now since that that information was leaked. But lots has happened this week, including uh, a landmark vote that could potentially have changed things dramatically in the states earlier this week, but it was not passed. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, what happened is that Democrats in the Senate decided to push ahead with a vote that would uh, nationalize protections for abortions so that if Roe was overturned, there would still be a federal law upholding those protections. But the vote failed. Uh, Democrats do not have the 60 votes you need in a 100-seat Senate to actually pass legislation and overcome the filibuster. They knew it was going to fail, but really it was about the symbolism here. They wanted to get Republicans on the record as opposing abortion protections because, of course, it's perpetually election season in this country, and we've got midterms coming up this November. And this is a hot button issue for both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, So that is the strategy from Democrats here. Now, there is some hope that they might be able to pass uh, more milder protections into law. They're going to uh, look uh, look at a piece of bipartisan legislation that does have the support of some Republicans. It doesn't go quite as far as what Democrats were originally proposing. Not clear that will pass either, but that gives you a sense that maybe there is some room for compromise here. Jackson, the big news this week uh, in the war in Ukraine on this side of the border was a surprise visit to Ukraine from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. What is the latest and what's the latest happenings in the U.S. when it comes to that Russian invasion? Yeah, and there was actually a surprise visit by a high-ranking American official this week as well. Uh, First Lady Dr. Jill Biden crossed into Ukraine and met with Ukraine's First Lady uh, on the weekend as well. Uh, What's happening now is that uh, the Biden administration is really sort of pulling out all the stops to continue to send aid to Ukraine. Uh, They're looking at a piece of World War II-era legislation that would essentially uh, give Ukraine everything it's asking for in terms of weapons for self-defense at this point. So I think that gives you a sense of how seriously they're taking this. And you get the sense that uh, there's a very good likelihood that more sanctions, more crackdowns are coming against Russia as well here uh, as the U.S. really, really tries to keep up the pressure. Jackson, you did a story this week on Russian propaganda. Yeah, this is this is kind of interesting. You know, despite all the sanctions that are out there right now, and despite the efforts in Canada and Europe and the U.S. to to yank Russia's state broadcasters off the air in Western countries, uh, we found out there's actually a Russian propaganda radio station that has found a workaround and is still broadcasting here in Washington D.C. Uh, it's also broadcasting on a station in Kansas City, Missouri, and essentially what they're doing is buying their way onto the air, air uh, airwaves, kind of like an infomercial. They're buying the airtime from broadcasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russia's state media company is spending about uh, $1.1 million a year buying airtime to get on the airwaves and spread this message. The stations in the U.S. that are owned by Americans uh, have resisted calls to stop taking that money and shut down these broadcasts. They say it's all about free speech. But I think what's really interesting about the whole thing is that uh, Russia is spending all this money and all this effort to do this. Nobody's actually listening to these stations. They don't crack the top 40 in either market. So kind of a curious question about what they're actually getting for their money here. All right. Also hearing that there's another huge aid package that has been approved. Can you give us the details surrounding that? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of a continuation of what we've seen so far. It includes using the the Lend-Lease Act, which is uh, something that dates back to World War II. And essentially, Ukraine can ask for things, the U.S. will offer them up, and it's very informal. It's sort of the promise to repay those loans in the future. But it essentially removes some of the bureaucracy and allows uh, the U.S. to continue funneling weapons and funding rapid pace. Any other big stories that you're focusing on specifically, Jackson, right now? 
you know, at this point is really the abortion story and where that goes. Uh, this weekend, we are expecting uh, up to 20,000 people to march on the Supreme Court and large-scale marches to take place in cities right across the U.S. This is the thing that has everyone talking. And in a lot of states, uh, women are genuinely afraid that they're going to lose mm-hmm. their rights and lose access to abortion services. All right. Also, the impact, uh, again, it's something we've been watching as far as, you know, pop culture is concerned. And when you have the name Elon Musk involved and uh, Twitter, questions of of whether or not he will let uh, former President Donald Trump rejoin the platform. Apparently, he's reached out and uh, made that invite. Would it make a difference if President Donald Trump returned to Twitter, do you think? You know, that's a good question. Uh, Trump has really been pushing his own social media platform called mm-hmm. Truth Social, but in truth, it has not done very well at all. Mm-hmm. So the question is, does Trump want the, the bigger audience that comes with Twitter, an existing platform, or does he keep trying to pushing uh, his own at this point? Not clear which way this will go uh, and, and what it'll mean for the future of Twitter and its influence. Appreciate your time today. As always, Jackson, have a wonderful weekend. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much, Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. And the Splash of Red Gala is back for its 10th year. With details on what to expect from this year's big benefit, we're joined this morning by Katie Ayers, Executive Director of SafeLink Alberta. Hi, Katie. Thanks for being with us. Hello. Thank you for having me. Okay, so for those who don't know, this has been going on for a number of years. Always a great party. But tell folks what the Splash of Red Gala is and what it's all about. Yeah, you bet. So this is our, like you said, this is our 10th annual gala event, and this is in support of the programs and services of SafeLink Alberta, formerly known as HIV Community Link. And we're an organization that works from a harm reduction framework, and we provide programs and services that promote safer sex and safer substance use. So this event will have, it's an online event this year, and we have a lot of awesome talent and performances like drag, tango dancers, we have a violinist, an aerialist, 50-50 raffle tickets, a silent auction, all kind of the typical fun gala stuff. All right, that sounds like fun. So really something for everyone. I know it sounds cliche, but is it something that you could, uh, you know, sit through the whole presentation, the whole, uh, you know, event, or can you kind of pick pieces? Oh, goodness. You know, what we've been telling people is that you could, because it's an online event again this year, uh, just in consideration of the ongoing challenges with COVID, um, you can sit in your pajamas and you can just watch it, the aerialists and the dancers online and just kind of have a good time and enjoy the performances, take part in the uh, raffle ticket draw, purchase some silent auction items. There's a bit of a theme twist this year. There's going to be a heist and then we need the guests to help us solve the mystery of who stole the item. So uh, anyone can go to splashofredgala.ca to buy tickets. And even if you can't attend the event, the 50-50 draw and the silent auction are also available to the public. Awesome. Okay. And uh, curious, you know, where does the money raised go? Because I know this is a big fundraiser for SafeLink Mm -hmm. Alberta. Yeah, you bet. So all of our programs and services, we provide uh, support services, outreach, drop-in, case management, education and prevention services, all in order to reduce the rates of sexually transmitted and bloodborne infections such as HIV or hepatitis C. So we work with a lot of more vulnerable populations in the city and the funds raised go towards supporting all of our programs. You talk about what you do. Let's talk about the people behind SafeLink. You know, where do you come from? Is this a case of a lot of volunteers? Sounds like it's a passion 
project. A lot of people involved enjoy this and, and feel really strongly about it. Yeah, you bet. We have an awesome group of volunteers, a great volunteer board of directors, and we have advisory committees as well for each of our programs, so people with lived or living experience that are able to advise us on, on the direction of our programs and what people in community need at this time and just in response to whatever the current kind of public health trends are. We have social workers on staff, educators, and like you said, tons of volunteers that are help with various aspects and especially this event. We have a great event planning committee and um, advisory committee for this event. So that's very helpful. Well, wishing you a wonderful event. It is always a ton of fun. It raises money for so many great causes. Uh, Global Calgary 770 CHQR, proud to be media partners again this year. Let's hope it's the last time it's online, though you do an amazing Agreed. job of online, but let's hope we can do it in person next year, Katie. That's our hope as well. And just as a reminder, it's splashofredgala.ca. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you. Katie Ayers, Executive Director of SafeLink Alberta. Another Calgary chef has made the big time. Calgary chef Jenny B of Jane Bond Barbecue will be battling it out on Food Network Canada's Fire Masters this Sunday, May 15th. Joining us with all the details is Chef Jenny B. Hi, Chef. How are you? I'm fantastic. Good morning. How are you too? Excellent. Thank you for joining us this morning. This is super exciting. But how does it work? You know, how, do, how does a Calgary chef, how does any chef kind of get flagged for an appearance on a show like Fire Masters? Well, I mean, I think considering, um, you know, our barbecue brand in Calgary, I think we're kind of an ideal candidate um, just because we do that fire cooking and that smoking on the regular basis. Uh, and I think just being, um, you know, growing that business in Calgary, we've, you know, we've earned some some awesome attention, some, you know, some props from other chefs that uh, that have really, you know, looked at us and, and taken us under their wing, right? So that's, uh, that's helpful. You've been noticed, Jenny B. So there's the thing that that's not a bad problem to have. Uh, but like you say, this is beef country. This is meat country. We have a lot of choices when it comes to barbecue. So, so what makes your barbecue stand out? What makes Jane Bond barbecue stand out? I got to say, like sometimes being the small guy, being that underdog, uh, gives you that advantage in terms of just you know owner operation, right? So a lot of the bigger guys might be managed by a restaurant group. Um, barbecue is far to none one of the hardest cuisines to to manage the quality, right? So if you don't have a real chef presence or, you know, somebody who's constantly monitoring that process, it's easy to have to, you know, to see that kind of slide in quality. So I think that I'm ever present in the operations makes a big difference in our food quality. People notice it. Jenny, what's your favorite way to grill or barbecue? Andy likes to, uh, you know, consider himself a grill master himself. He's got 17 types of barbecues in his backyard. <laughs> yes. what, what's your favorite to use? Uh, you know what? I'm a fire cooker. You know, I really like to take it back to the basics. Uh, you know, it's kind of like cave, cave woman cooking, I suppose. <laughs> when I met my wife, that was, <laughs> that was one of the ways that uh, one of our first dates was just cooking right over fire. So, um, you know, literally and truly. And, and, you know, I think that, that that will come to show on the episode that's about to air. Um, just really playing around with true fire and coals. Awesome. And we can watch it at home on the Food Network, but what fun is that when you could uh, go and watch it with a group? Tell us about it. There's a bit of a viewing party. Is that right? Hey, you guys, you guys really do your research. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're good buds with a, with an awesome brewery here in town called Cool Garden. Uh, they've actually made a beer called She Phoenix for this event. It's a smoked maple peach red ale. Uh, and we are having a viewing party at their brewery. So on the big screen, we'll have the food truck out. It's going to be a fun event. Uh, I know you can't tell us the results, obviously, but how big of a deal is it for you to be on? Uh, like, does it really give your business a boost when you when you appear on a show like this? It's it's really interesting how people take notice, right? And, and uh, it does. 
yeah, those kinds of things. Good. Do so much for your brand, and I'm truly grateful for that opportunity. Oh, good stuff. And, uh, you know, now we're just hungry. We're going to be chewing you on. But in the meantime, uh, barbecue for breakfast isn't bad. And if you're if you're bored, we can give you the street address of the radio station. You can make some stuff. Uh, you know, I would love to barbecue attack you. Send me that address, and 100% I will send you something back. <laughs> we'll have to do that. Oh, man. So we'll be watching uh, this uh, weekend on uh, Sunday, as a matter of fact. Uh, do check Amazing. it out. Yeah, on uh, Food Network Canada. Thank you so much, Jenny. Yeah, thanks for uh, giving me a shout. Have a good weekend, guys. You, you too. too. Good luck. That is uh, Jenny B., Calgary chef, owner of Jane Bond Barbecue, janebondbarbecue.com. And, of course, it is on the Food Network this Sunday. You can check it out. Firemasters. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.